Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the fifth episode of Blaster Cannon. I am your host, Paul Herman. I am joined with Megan. Hello. And my other friend, Saf. Hello. And we three combined to be Blaster Cannon. Yes. Um, so <laughs> like Voltron with fewer, just fewer. <laughs> we're, we're mightier than Voltron. So we got, what, is, what would be our combined name? I don't know, like a portmanteau name, like Cephalon, hmm. like that kind of thing. Ooh, Cephalon. Ooh, I like Cephalon that. Work. Cephalon works. <laughs> Cephalon. Ooh, I like this. <laughs> Cephalon. If you want to do some concept art of this thing, I'm good to go. <laughs> um, we have a, a pretty intense episode. And we always have intense episodes, but sometimes Star Wars decides to throw us, like, the biggest news and just stuff because comes crazy. Because obviously this is a Star Wars-driven podcast, and we focus on the stuff that's mainly outside the films. We also touch on some film stuff, too. But we just had Star Wars Celebration Europe, and we had so much information thrown at us. We're going to focus on the mainly the books aspects, some Rebel stuff, too. So just getting out of the gate... You know, you know, I grew up around Heir to the Empire era, which was the beginning of the, I guess, the greater EU. People could argue it's split in the minds. I that started it, you know, or the, or the West End Games, et cetera, et cetera, or whatever. But let's be honest here. Heir to the Empire is kind of what started the whole realization that, oh, my gosh, like this thing is legit. This Star Wars can survive without films and book form because it sold, what, a bajillion copies, etc. So it's a big deal. Now, we found out in Celebration that Grand Admiral Thrawn, yes, that Admiral Thrawn, we all know he's back as of Rebel, in Rebels, excuse me, and it's exciting. We're, it's mind-blowing. We're like, oh, my gosh, it's so cool. I think, I believe this is the first time a actual uh, Legends character has transferred over since the merger of Disney. I don't want merger or the buyout of Disney to Lucasfilm. So I, you know, I know I'm not sure if Saf, if you've read this yet or Megan, if you already know the story, well, I guess I'll start with you, Saf. Saf, do you know Grand Animal Thrawn? Are you excited? Have you read the books? You know, what, what's your thoughts on all this? I have read one book with Thrawn in it and it was outbound flight. So it's not the Thrawn trilogy. It's a, it's set quite a bit before then, I think. Um, but he was an interesting character in that, and I thought it was well-written. Um, I'm not, like, super psyched about Thrawn, partly because I didn't grow up in the generation that had the books, and they were, you know, the Star Wars of the time. And so he's not, like, this huge character for me. And I think, for me, the most exciting thing is seeing how excited my friends are about this happening and how happy they are. And I'm just really happy for everyone else that they can have this happen. Like, that a character they're so excited about is brought into the new canon and exists in this timeline as well. 
I agree. It's almost been more fun watching other people react to this than for me reacting to it specifically. Because I read the the Thrawn trilogy when I was in high school, probably. It was it was one of the earlier Star Wars series I ever read. But I was reading them around the same time as I was reading The New Jedi Order, and I liked The New Jedi Order better, um, which is a sort of contested <sighs> opinion, I realize. Classic Megan, indeed. Yeah, I can't look. I, I can't help it. You, you, but, you just um, gotta love what you love, Megan. We love you regardless. And I love, I love uh, technophobic, galaxy conquering aliens. All right, but um, I am interested to see how this works in Rebels. Um, they've already said that Thrawn is not going to have his Yasalamiri, which kind of made me sad because they were cool. They were like lizards that could cancel out the Force, but there are nods to them in the in the trailer for Rebels that we've seen already. So I'm sort of wondering what are they going to bring in? What is Thrawn going to bring with him? Both in terms of mm-hmm. literally what is he going to bring with him, like ideas from the uh, the expanded universe, and also how is he going to challenge our characters in, in new ways? Um, someone someone on Tumblr, and I wish I could cite who it was, but it was oh, just Tumblr. one of those things that went around the fandom on Tumblr, was saying that Sabine would be a really great... Uh, sort of foil for Thrawn because she's all about just about to mention that. Yeah. I saw that too. Yeah. Because of the whole art thing. And that sounds really interesting and it would be cool if they did that because they have said they want to use more Sabine in the next season or that we will be seeing more of Sabine in the next season. And so using her being an artist with, you know, Thrawn's appreciation for art would be really interesting. Yeah. It's funny because I thought about that while I was watching the panel live on, on a, Celebration, which was, by the way, really awesome. I was, get you know, we were all there at the last celebration, and I got to kind of remember the season two panel, which was a lot of fun. It got a lot of memories, you know, rewatching it on from my from my home here. But it was really cool to kind of see everything, and it was interesting the announcement of Thrawn. And I just, you know, I don't know. Like I, I thought about the Sabine angle, like you were talking about, Saf. And I, it, something kind of clicked in my head that just like you guys all said, like she's a perfect foil for this, right? And I'm thinking, did, was this always the kind of like not the end game, but a plan that they were going to introduce Thrawn at some point, and that they wanted to have someone to kind of go up against like a character of Thrawn to kind of you know again to be the foil, or maybe the other way around, maybe Thrawn mm-hmm. it always has the 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 step on uh, Sabine because she's, you know, she's putting her art out there and she basically, she's putting herself out there and exploiting herself to him that he can, or in a way for him to take advantage of. So, you know, I, I mean, obviously I think they created the character by itself and this, and, but I wonder if they created that angle to use later on, you know what I mean? Like, so I think a lot of things are coming together here at the same time. It's a, Shout out to Apocryphist on uh, Tumblr, by the way. Apocryphist. Um, name. Yeah, it's a great name. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, uh, there was an interview with Dave Filoni on io9 recently about um, how they already have plans in the works for Thrawn and plans in the works for Ezra. However, taken in concert with another interview about Darth Maul, you start to kind of see how the story is put together because there were thoughts uh you know in the writing team that Darth Maul would die at the end of season two and then they thought well okay he's gonna 
we have a way we can use him in season three. Of course, people have decided to kill off Darth Maul many, many times now, and it never works. They should know this by now. <laughs> yes, they should. But <laughs> but um, they, they want him to survive. He's obviously, based on the trailer, going to play a large part in Ezra's growth this season. Um, and Thrawn is... Dave Filoni spoke of Thrawn and Ezra both kind of having a similar, not necessarily an arc that goes together, but uh, an arc that's paced together in this mm. season. And I wonder if that pacing, I'm like making diagrams with my hands that you can't see right now. Why can't I, I see these? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder <laughs> if that's going to be like parallel, if they're going to parallel each other or if they're going to crisscross and whether Sabine will be sort of the line. Okay, look, if I've got three lines, like Sabine's the line in the middle, right? She's going to connect them both. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder, I, you know, Ezra is a really intriguing character. This season, I think I, I appreciate the time jump they're doing. I appreciate the fact you got a haircut that we're going to an older <laughs> character. No, I'm I, so glad his design changed. I like it so much more now. No, I do. And like I, I was never I kind of went back and forth on Ezra. I, I want to like Ezra a lot. I like him more. I like when Ezra is serious and, and, and searching. I don't like goofy, like little kid Ezra. I mean, maybe it's because I'm I'm an adult now, which I hate admitting. But um, I have a kid at heart. But this new Ezra, I like the idea that these things are shaping him to be a different person. Like when a loved one loses their sight, that's a big deal. And you go through something like he did a Malachor in the Sith temple. That's heavy stuff. Like he cheated death a couple different times, essentially because he survived Darth Vader. I mean, Darth Vader obviously didn't care about him. That's why he survived. That's kind of a profound impact on anyone, especially. And I mean, some- he thinks, he thinks like that they left Ahsoka to die. Like they think she's Great dead, point. I think. That's a, um, and yeah, so he's exactly. also got the heaviness of leaving a friend behind and a kind of mentor um, to someone like Darth Vader. No, exactly. Mm, and, that's interesting. So I think I and like Saf, I'm glad I mean you're on the same page on the Saf because I, I, <laughs> I've seen well, no, because I've seen some people kind of dogging the new look a little bit and like, oh, it's Ezra, same thing. And I guess I think Rebels has a little bit of work to do to kind of win back some Star Wars fans. Not every fan, but a select few, a number I think that are it's, it's important for them to take notice for sure. And, and I, don't, I, I don't think you're one of those people, Saf, but I, I think me and you both can agree that Ezra had some growth that needed to happen. And now that it has happened or we're seeing it hinted at in this new season, it's nice to see an older, a little more serious Ezra. And it's just nice to see a green lightsaber again, the kind of a different, you know, I, I love Blue Blades. Blue Blades when I was a kid was like, that was my jam. But... Now, it's it's nice to see the green blade out. It's just nice seeing Ezra come into his own. And, you know, I kind of wonder. I don't think it's going to happen, but it definitely hints at things that, is Ezra going to turn to the dark side? I mean, it's... I think he will brush with the dark side and potentially go to it for, like, a little while, but he won't stay there. He's going to come back to the light side because he is, because the show is a kid's show and he is the children's focal Mm -hmm. focal character he's the character they see it through and to have the main character in a kid's show turn dark and then not be redeemed from that is a real bad message for those kids yeah no you're right i mean i kind of but see i've kind of been criticizing a little bit of of disney lucasfilm whatever you want to call it for being too safe and i'd love for them to do something pretty nutty like that which i don't expect them to i think i think it'll be 
Based Sorry, on this Megan. trailer, he's going to get awful close. Yes. Yeah, I think he's going to get really close, kind of like Anakin did in the way that he thinks it'll be good for his friends and his family and think it'll be the right thing to do. And then he will be redeemed from it. And it's kind of not like maybe not fully redeemed or something, but he won't go fully dark. Um, And it'll be a message to kids that, you know, you can do bad things and you can you can hurt people trying to do what you think is right, but you can come back from that. But it it'll have to be something really good for him to come back. So like he'll do something good and be like you, if you, if you really want to change and do better, you can, you know, I, that I can, I can get behind that. Like, see, that's the thing. I don't mind a redemptive arc. Cause that's just kind of in the history of, or in the tradition of star Wars. So, you know, yeah, and I mean, star Wars, I mean, rebels in particular already has an unredeemable character in Darth Vader. They've got that there already. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, so speaking ahead, of, Speaking of unredeemable characters, I guess that makes me wonder, do you want Thrawn to be sympathetic in any way? No. Because we've got Darth Maul and we've got Darth Vader as like, arguably, and I would argue this, Darth Maul is, has been cheated by the galaxy and has oh, a sure. decent motivation, but he's still an evil character. He's do we still want- evil, but I still feel sorry for him. Me too. Yes, I agree. He's, he's yeah. very sympathetic. We all love Maul here. We do, we do. Um, <laughs> but uh, do we want Thrawn and either the Thrawn we see in Rebels or the Thrawn we see in the new canon Thrawn novel to be sympathetic at all? I, I mean, it's very in right now to make your your villain sympathetic. <laughs> I mean, That's true. I mean, and, and I don't think it's a bad thing. It's been nice. I mean, I love Loki from the the way Marvel has you know written him. Um, which is not far off from the actual comic book character from the 616 universe of Marvel, but Loki's anyway, what I'm talking about, but, <laughs> but anyway, that's all no, getting off subject here, but no, like this, the, what we're seeing in the, a lot of our blockbusters is, is that, you know, sympathetic villain, like in the dark Knight, two face character, sympathetic, he kind of gets turned on, uh, the dark, the bad side because he's, you know, taunted by the Joker and he sees all these awful things that he can't uh, fight against. So I don't know, like I, and obviously we have Kylo Ren who's, he's arguably sympathetic. I know a lot of people don't think he is, but I think he is, but uh, I don't know. I, to be honest, I think there's something to be said. Like, again, I'll bring the joke from the dark Knight. You had the sympathetic villain in two face. You have the just unrelenting, unquestionable evil person in the Joker. And I like the idea of having someone who's just evil. I mean, we know Darth Vader personifies evil at this moment in Rebels, but we all know he's got a redemptive arc. We've already hinted at that with, or he's still a good person. There's someone underneath that armor in the season or last season of Rebels. So, and the Inquisitor was that person a little bit, but I mean, he wasn't that powerful. I think we, excuse me, we need to have these villains be evil people for a reason to give our heroes more reason to fight up against them. So if they did, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I preferred Thrawn just to be an ass. Be honest. <laughs> I think, I think I agree. You want him to be sort of, uh, you want to love to hate him, but I, I feel no great need for him to be sympathetic. Yeah. I kind of feel like I thought that Callus would be this really, um, I forgot the word I wanted. Um, really capable and kind of evil imperial, right? And mm-hmm. that's kind of what I expected out of Callus. And he plays that really well in the first season. In the second season, you kind of see him start to kind of 
edge his way over to being like, maybe we're the bad guys, not the good guys, oh kind of kind of mm-hmm. way of thinking, which I think is interesting. And I mm-hmm. wish he had thought of that before he killed Tua. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to see Thrawn fill in that spot instead and kind of take over as like the the intelligent and really capable um, villain. And I wouldn't mind if he's like morally ambiguous, but not particularly sympathetic. So like maybe he has ulterior motives that he thinks are for the greater good of the galaxy, but he's not necessarily a sympathetic character. You're not like, oh, I feel sorry for you because like Maul, the universe has been kind of awful to you your whole life. Um, But for him to not be like purely evil would be interesting. But also it is just a kid's show. So like whatever, make him fully evil. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. You know, know, I'm all about giving our characters depth. You know, but just sometimes I just want to sit down and enjoy good versus evil, you know, like that's what I want. And yeah, it, and, and granted, like, I don't know what always what I want when I sit down and try to watch it. So it's, it's hard for me to tell, you know, if, you know, say like Dave Filoni came to like, so Paul, what do you want to, what do you want me to do for you? And I'll be like, well, uh, let me sit and tell you. I mean, I don't, it'd be hard for me. Cause I'm like, well, I'm fickle. I'm a person. I, I just, you know, I, <laughs> I want to be surprised. I want to, I want people to kind of sit down and, and, and I want people to wow me, whether it be in depth, you know, really in depth, crazy, you know, psychological villains or just straight up like good versus evil and, simplistic you know i mean if it's well done story it's well done story so if thrawn needs to be layered and have different you know you know have sympathetic parts of him then so be it but at the same time it's working i think with callus like you said i mean bring up callus you know there's a lot of rumors and and and, and theories that he's the new uh fulcrum which i think i mean yeah that the person who pitched the recording down, it sounds an awful lot like him. Even, yeah, even with the recording, it's like after I heard that, I was like, and I listened to it this was the other day, I'm like, oh, that's Fulcrum. Or excuse me, that's uh, it's Callus. And, yeah. you know, the, the Forgotten Ones is, is a really well done episode, which is the, the, the classic staple of the hero and the villain are stuck together and they have to work together to get out of this impossible situation, which is also a movie that my wife and I watched recently, Enemy Mine, which is ridiculous and also awesome at the same time. I recommend it. It's an 80s sci-fi movie. Um, but, I mean, I really – the fact the very end of that of that show, you saw Callus kind of see the problem – with the empire and it was, it actually was a really, I want to say moving, but it was a kind of an emotional ending when he is in his room by himself, just kind of his head down. So I, I would be, if he brought his sideburns over to the rebellion, I would be all over that. I'd cosplay as, <laughs> as, uh, as callous at next year's celebration. Cause I'm all about sideburns. So, and I used to have sideburns just like that. Cause I was a big, you know, huge Wolverine fan. And when I was able to actually grow hair on my face, I was all about it. So, I'll grow. I'll grow those sideburns back, and I'll. And if he's in a new costume, I'll get that costume. That's what I'll be because I'm not really an imperial person like my my buddy Justin, but I am definitely all about being rebellious and being punk rock. So if I can be a rebel, I'll be a rebel for Callus. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> uh, anyway, awesome. yeah. So speaking of Thrawn novel that you kind of mentioned, Megan, you know, really quickly. Are you guys looking forward to this novel by Timothy Timothy Zahn? I mean, Seth, you Outbound Flight was written by Timothy Zahn, right? Yes, I think so. I believe it was. (laughs) I think it was. It's been a while since I've read it, Um, but yeah, I think so. Okay, and then so Megan, what's that? I'm sorry. 
it was. I just googled it. Oh, let me google that for you. Um, so, <laughs> but but so Megan, are you? Are, does Timothy Zahn excite you at all? Does it make you pumped? Is it kind of indifferent? So my um, complicated relationship with Timothy Zahn is <laughs> that while I was at best indifferent, his earlier stuff, Scoundrels was um, uh, came out in 2012 and was a much more enjoyable book than I expected it to. That one was not about his usual cast of characters. It wasn't really about the main three. It wasn't about Thrawn. It was about Han and a bunch of scoundrels. And I thought that book was really good. So this one, I'm honestly like, I feel like I have so many expectations that I can go all the way around and have a blank slate with no expectations again. Because like, it's a Timothy Zahn book, but that means so much and so little at the same time to me personally right now. So I, I'm curious about how it will, how it will be. Um, I think it will be very, I think it'll be fun to review. Um, I don't necessarily think any of those things because I either love or hate Timothy Zahn's works as a whole. Hmm. Seth, what's your opinion on the Thrawn novel and written by Tim- Timothy Zahn? Are you excited for it? Indifferent? Tell me. Amazingly, I have no strong feelings about this at all. I'm kind of like, I wish it was a novel with completely new characters and everything, because that's what I like out of Star Wars. Um, but I'm curious to see what um, Thrawn is like in the new canon, and also to maybe kind of finally understand what everyone else is so excited about. So I'm not, I'm not super excited about it. I'm not thrilled. Like there are other books I'm way more keen on, um, but I'll definitely read it, and I'm, I probably will like it. We'll see. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm gonna go ahead and admit that I've actually never finished the uh, Heir to the Empire trilogy or the Thrawn trilogy, or whatever you want to call it. I've only read it in comic book form, which is obviously abridged a lot. Um, I read it through um, my wife bought me the uh, the comic collection, which is out of print now, uh, years ago, and I actually managed to finish finally finish the books by that. And I don't know, I I'm not the biggest. Timothy Zahn fan, but I know his, he's important to a lot of people. And just like you guys kind of mentioned earlier, I'm just excited for other people to be excited about this. I think it's really cool and I think really honorable of them to bring him in for the first, you know, Thrawn book or thing with him. They have, you know, him writing all about, you know, the history of this character. Yeah. It just makes sense. I think it's a really cool thing they did. They obviously didn't have to do this. They know they want to, you know, fans love this character. And with the rewriting of the history and everything being canon, they are, I think this is a great thing to do for the fans. This is obviously fan service. And it, this yeah. is the, but this is the best fan service. This is where, this is what makes me excited about Lucasfilm because they realize there's a character that fans want to see. And this, by, and this is the writer that people want to see him written by. And they're giving it to us. And if you're like about that, then, you know, whatever. Because my thing is this. People are excited about this. The reason Lucasfilm did, did this is because fans, a lot of fans are excited. And, they, and as you can tell, in my opinion, I don't know about you guys, but I think the Rebels news blew Rogue One news out of the water uh, as far as popularity yeah. goes Thrawn, from Celebration. Thrawn was the big thing is what I heard a lot of people like on yes. my Twitter feed saying. Um, 
And I think I would agree. I mean, some of the, the Rogue One novel news was exciting to me, but like Thrawn, because it's a bridge between the new canon and the old canon, that's so significant. And um, the Thrawn novel is going to be set before Rebels. So what I'm kind of curious about is how they're going to lay the groundwork for this character. And that's, I'm I'm saying lay the groundwork, but it's kind of going to be out of order because Rebels is presumably starting in the fall and um, the Thrawn novel is not coming until the next spring, I believe. I'm going to double check that right now. It comes out in April. In April, yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be a little bit out of order in terms of finding his backstory, but it will give Timothy Zahn almost a choice, a chance to recreate the character from the ground up, as well as explore what else is going on in that period before Rebels. So that I'm kind of looking forward to that. Yeah, you know what's funny? Before we move on to the next topic, I just want to throw this out there. We're basically going to get, and I'm just assuming this now because of history, right? So April... We have Celebration, and we have, well, probably, I'm assuming, Rogue One Blu-ray that month. Yes. And, and, and relate, yeah, because TFA. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and then the Thrawn novel <laughs> the coming out that month. Mm. So it's going to be, I mean, I am mad, I think they're probably going to release both the Rogue One Blu-ray and the Thrawn book, I'm assuming, hopefully before Celebration. So I think it might come out after if it's no. anything like Dark Disciple because Dark Disciple came out like a week or two after Celebration last year. Um, it? It's possible they'll time it similarly this time. Did it? I thought I thought no. Dark Disciple came out in July, didn't it? It was way. What well, came a- out in twenty eighth? Then something came out on the twenty eighth of April because I remember being sad that I couldn't air, buy it. Was it Heir to the Empire? No, no, it wasn't. Not uh, not Heir to, Heir I'm going to look this up because I remember okay. discussing Dark Disciple at Celebration, but I don't believe it was out yet. Dark Disciple came in, uh, in July. Whoop, came whoop, out whoop. in April then. <laughs> <laughs> Something, what, I, I, what about Heir to the Jedi? No, that came out in the... Was it no, before? that was March. That was yeah. before. Was it Lords of the Sith? Oh, that's what it was. Lords of the yeah. Sith. You're right. Okay. Lords, Lords of the Sith. Sith came out right after Celebration, I think. You're right. And which also has that Rebels connection because that's got Champs and Dula. Yeah. And they did – did they have it? They had it for sale there too, didn't they? Mm. Lords um, of the Sith? They definitely had pins for it. Yeah, they had pins. <laughs> Whether the actual book was on sale, I believe it might have been available for pre-order at that time. Okay. I think you had to like prove you'd pre-ordered books to get the pins. Yeah, there uh Lords of the Sith and Dark Disciple were a, a like pre-order deals at celebration um where you if you pre-ordered them, you got the pin. But it wouldn't have been there wouldn't have been much time because Lords of the Sith came out April 21st and Celebration was early April, right? Or no, it was around that same yeah. time. Yeah. So I think I think it was for sale. I I'm I'm almost positive it was there. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I think they'll this have is, it for sale. This is how well I remember things I was actually involved in. I know. I know. I know. So anyway, it sounds like we're all, you know, we're, we're excited because it's a Star, a Star Wars novel. And it sounds like we're all excited for other people who are really excited about this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's funny, but I'm like, I, but that that's the honest truth. Like, I like seeing the fandom happy about it. Right. Okay. So we got some other uh, book stuff happening. Speaking of Rogue One and being a little bit blown out of the water, not out of the water, but being overtaken by Rebels, 
We have Rogue One Catalyst by James Lucino, which will be released, what, a couple, a month before the uh, movie comes out? Um, Catalyst will be on November 15th. So, yeah, yes, a month, a month. before. So, and I, we all know Catalyst and, or we hear the name Catalyst, we're all assuming, and I think we're all assuming the same thing that's about probably Mads Mikkelsen's character. Um who we, we Galen? Yeah, Galen. We all think that he's yes. probably behind a lot of this kind of going on, which is interesting. And it sound, I'm, I'm really intrigued. I'm not, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but I think it's about his character at least. But I'm, I don't want to get into specifics of that. But everyone, I, I don't know about you guys. James James Lucino is, is another Star Wars writer that's very pulverizing for, in, a, in a positive way. I'd say he wrote the pulverizing. Infant- I, I say in a good way. In a good way. In a good you mean way. Polarizing? Oh. Uh yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> I mean. He might also be very strong and can like bust through walls and stuff, but we don't know. I, that yeah, I don't know. You know what? He might be strong. We don't know. That's a, that's really funny. Welcome to my simple mind, everyone. I'm sorry, Paul. No, 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 no. I'm glad you corrected me. Um no, but he's he's obviously a very respected and liked writer in Star Wars. And so he obviously wrote Darth Plagueis. Um, he's written uh, Tarkin, which actually was one of my favorite uh, canon novels. I love Tarkin. I think it's fantastic. Uh, so I don't know. I, I'm at, at these. I'll be honest. The Journey to the Force Awakens books were very hit and miss for me. I wasn't enthralled by them. Um and I don't know, like, I, I'm I'm curious what they're going to give us in this book. It's going to be di- obviously, obviously it's going to be a lot different because we're getting uh, Rogue One's not episode seven. You know, we pretty much know what we already know what's going to happen at the end of the movie. So, you know, how much they give us in this book, I'm very curious about. I hope it's a really good it's really good, juicy information because I just don't want to read a book of just fluff. And that's what I felt like the before the awakening. I felt before, even though I, I thought it was okay, I thought it was a lot of fluff, and it wasn't really my favorite thing to read. In fact, I felt the Journey of the Force Awakens novels, the ones about Han, Luke, and Leia, were way better um, and a lot more entertaining, anyway. So I'm really hoping this is inter- a little bit more informational and entertaining instead of just like you know, let's get a couple hundred pages of of just kind of like this character staring at things and talking about them. And I don't know. I, I just, I want information about what's going on and, 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 and give me hints of what, what to see in the story. Uh, I think Lucino is a good choice for this one because his specialty is informational. And I, I generally liked Tarkin. I think he tends to info dump a little bit, but he does it in exactly the way a book like this needs to, where he brings together a lot of different elements of canon and is very good at making um, different stories fit together. So I, while I'm not particularly excited for his prose style, it's not bad. It's just nothing really extraordinary. What I do, I think this was a good choice in terms of bringing that uh, informational, like encyclopedic uh, feel to this era. And it's an era that we don't necessarily know a lot about. So that's exactly what it needs. Seth? I agree. I mean, I haven't read Tarkin yet, which is awful because I know oh I need to, and I know I will gosh. like it. I'm, I know I'll like it. I just haven't had the time to read it. Um, 
but other James Lucina books I've read, I've always like enjoyed. He's not my favorite Star Wars author, but he's also not mm. terrible. Um, and I do feel like he'll be really good for this book. You know, that's a, in the future when we have a slow month of no Star Wars books. I think we should go to that because that's a good book. So I'll force you to read that book. All right. Maybe. All right. Noted. Good call. I, I can't force you guys to do anything, obviously. Yeah, I'll read right. Tarkin again. Okay, good. Well, that, we'll, we'll save that for another time. So we'll go on, moving on to the next uh, item on the list here, we've got Rogue One Novelization, written by you guys' favorite author, Alex Vander Freed. Yeah. This was funny because I was um, DMing Saf on Twitter like, oh, I wanted him to be the one to write Catalyst and it's not. And now I'm sad. And then the Rogue One uh, announcement came up and I was like, aha, we we're going to get something by him. Anyway. Yeah, it was. I, I felt the same because, yeah, when I found that it was James Lucino Ryan Catalyst, I was like, oh, okay, not Alex Freed then. But yeah, um, Megan messaged me about Rogue One novelization being him, and I was like, yes, at least there's something. It was pretty funny. Well, it, you guys are big Battlefront Twilight fans, and I and you guys have convinced me. I I own the book, and I, and I and I now I also picked it up on Audible so I can play Battlefront while I listen to Battlefront Twilight Company. And it's you know, I'm enjoying it. That's another book we'll probably pick up on here at some point too. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it's I'm enjoying it, but I'm not um, haven't really been able to sink my teeth in it. But it's also because I'm also doing something while I, I I read or listen to it, which is not always the best thing. But I will say this: Alexander Freed has an amazing sense of humor because he had a tweet that I thought was incredible when it was announced. He says, and he says on his Twitter. On the 17th of July, he says, and yes, I will be pushing for a title, a final title of Star Wars Rogue One, a Star Wars story, a novel. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny because I'm a lot of people out there will know not a big fan of that title, Star Wars story. I love an anthology way better. Obviously, it's not really an anthology film, but it's the only one. So I'm hoping that it'll get changed in the future. Uh, at some point when it's already released or whatever. But anyway, um, I, you know, Alexander free, I will say has a very distinct style. Um, it seems well, it seems well written enough. Um, so far that I'm, that I'm listening as I listen to it. So, but here's the thing. I'm not a big novelization guy. Uh, I'm buying the, like the star Wars comic of the force awakens and I'm, I'm not even reading it per se. I'm just looking at the pictures. I'm buying it for the art essentially. I buy it for the art. That's it. Um, so, and, sorry, dumb joke. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> wow, tough audience. Um, no, uh, no, I mean, it's just, it just, I just don't I have the film, right? Like, I don't really need, I won't need to read a novelization. I don't, I just can't really get into them. I know a lot of people are into novelizations. Are you guys into reading the novelizations? It depends. I don't, I liked the Attack of the Clones novelization quite a lot, um, which is a really random one to like, but I did really like it. Um, I haven't really been overly fond of the others. I gave up on the Force Awakens one because Alan Dean Foster's Alan Dean Foster's writing is dry as hell. He cannot he does not know understand like saying things with few words. He just blabs on and on and adds extra things to the characters' the jokes that kill was, the jokes. It was not was good. Not, not a prime example of the novelization art, I think. Yeah, I feel like um, the way Alex Freed writes will make it more interesting in that like he'll 
potentially expand characterization in an interesting way without actually like changing the characters or anything. Hmm. You know, his, you know, the, he has it from the book, the uh, Twilight company. I definitely do like the insight I get of the characters of like, of Namir. Like I really, he gets into his head really well. And I, I, I definitely do enjoy that. So that's something to think about for the novelization. If he can get into Jin Urso's head and kind of expand on that a little bit, that'd be really that'd be something I'd be interested in buying and, and, and getting. You know, I, I kind of think is 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 not our novelizations a dying breed for these things, or because I know it's a big Star Wars thing, but do other do other films do this? I mean, I don't even know. I I don't know either. I mean, I don't really keep track of what does and doesn't have one. Exactly. The last thing that I picked up that wasn't Star Wars was Pacific Rim had a novelization. I think I remember you telling me that. (laughs) Yeah, because it had it had some cool stuff, but like I wouldn't have known about it if I hadn't like seen it. I think I saw it in a shop right or something. Um, Pacific Rim. I I think novelizations can be either very dull, like. Unfortunately, in the case of The Force Awakens, I think was generally dull or very, very. Um, and I'm actually going to steal words from Alex Freed here, because when he was talking about writing Twilight Company, um, he mentioned that he was he wants to make tie in material that is in conversation with the source material. So the novel will be in conversation with the movie. It will be adding things to it. It will be. um working with it really creatively and I have a lot of feelings about the Revenge of the Sith novel. I think it's a great example of an author who knew exactly what they were doing, not in terms of like skill craft way, which he did, Matthew Stover did have skill and craft, but also in a way that like he knew the burden of putting the plot together wasn't on him. The burden of writing the script wasn't on him. The burden of creating the characters wasn't on him. So he was like, I'm going to give 100% to everything else, to the prose, to the scenes I'm going to add, to the through lines, to the themes, and just gave it 100%. So it ended up 200% because two people had done the work. Um, <laughs> so that, I think, is the ideal. And... um Alex Freed has mentioned on Twitter that he was, will be, or has been, I don't know, looking at the Revenge of the Sith novelization as an example of this is one, one that fans have praised and that fans think was done well and that, that would be a good example. So I'm very much looking forward to how, whether I can see the Matthew Stover influences in it as someone who has read and reread Matthew Stover's stuff as well. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And I didn't know, I know Matthew Stover's novelization of episode three is very, very high regarded. So, yeah. And so I have to really, you know, I, ha- I might have to give that a shot because I know our, our friend Justin uh, Bolger, he's, he's raved that book up and down to me. And I'm like, I get it. You like that oh, novelization? Revenge of the Sith? Yes. It's so, a good book. It's amazing. Yeah, people, and you guys do it. I'll have to do it sometime. So I, I might bite the bull and actually read that novelization. But as a, I'm just not, I'm a visual person. So if I have the film, that's what I need. And, and that to me is obviously the be all end all. I'm not the biggest reader, which makes me on this podcast very interesting. Because so, <laughs> <laughs> we obviously don't just cover books. We cover comics and Rebel TV shows and whatnot, but no, um, it's just that's just not my first go-to medium, and so it's it's 
it's interesting to, to see if, if Alexander Free can get into the headspace better. And just like Matthew Stover, I think, was kind of able to, it sounds like, in the novelization and, uh, and add other elements too, then I'll, I'll, I might consider, you know, checking that out too. But it's, at the same time, I wish it had came out before because I'd probably read, I'd read it before the movie came out, but because they want to make it. Yeah, but it, that's just cheating. That's not cheating. We already know what's going to happen. We don't know. It's cheating. We already, already know what's going to happen. Wait, wait, why is it cheating? Well, if the book comes out first. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, we'll see that. Actually, I was thinking about that with this one. Do you think they're even going to release it first? Because like, like they with won't. Force Awakens, I mean, right now the novelization is scheduled for January and they didn't give press copies um, in advance of the film for Force Awakens. So really careful with that, though. Yeah, yeah they won't. They I won't. No, I, I don't know. I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. I wish, because that way I would actually read it, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, to me, Star Wars is a visual medium. Like, that's that's where it's made for. I know people, like, well, there's a lot of people out there who love the, the novels. And that's, a, that's their Star Wars. And that's awesome. I'm really, happy, I'm really happy they have that. For me, Star Wars will always be a visual, what George Lucas intended it to be. So I always will take that before. So even if I had the book, Saf, I probably wouldn't read it. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. All right. That's before. Fair. Yes. So before we get on to our main topic of Life Dead, there's one last little thing. This will be really quick. We have a bunch of Black Series figures releasing. Really quickly, which are the ones you guys are like? Ha- like I'll give you. I'm not going to say a list. I'm not going to say all of them were released, but I'm going to give you two figures you have of all the set. What do you, which ones do you want? Jaina and Hera. No question. Okay. Sabine and Hera? Okay, okay, that's good. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, if we're going that route because I think Revan's in this line as well. This is hard. Oh, wait. Is Revan in that line? Yeah, Revan's well, in. Revan's in the next series. Oh, which is, is he? I don't uh, know the numbers, so uh, it's a dude I can't. Revan though, isn't it? Well, it's, <laughs> it's it's just gender indiscriminate Revan who I will pretend is female Revan. Um, there you go. There you go. <laughs> and um. Now I got knocked off track by thinking of how important female Revan is. Um, so those are, are planned to be coming out in the fall. The I don't know the number, like what the number of the line is, but these that were currently voted in this fan poll are like the number after that. Sure. So they will be out next year or oh. something. Okay, so I won't use Revan. So I'll, I'm going to say, and this is tough because there's a, a lot of great figures in this line. I don't think there's really a bad figure. I think there's a couple of The Force Awakens one where I was like, but um, with this line, oh my gosh, um, the Imperial Guard is definitely on there. He looks incredible. And I'm going to say, oh, this is tough. Ah, I have a gun to my head. Ah! I'm going to go. <laughs> oh, no. Wygon Jin. Nice. Ah! The Wygon one was cool. But yeah. there's also Sand People. <laughs> this is so hard. <laughs> All right, I'm just gonna say Qui Gon Jinn. I think Qui Gon Jinn is a fantastic. He looks great, and I, and I love that character. So, gotta have a Black Series figure of him, and the Imperial Guard looks amazing. So, anyway, we have there's been so much to talk about. We could talk about this whole stuff for another hour, I feel, but for all the stuff we've had, but we got a pretty big book that was dropped uh, just what two weeks ago, and that my friends, is Aftermath Life Dead. And we're going to do a, a little spoiler-free thing. 
And then also we're going to spoil the hell out of it right afterwards. So we'll let you know. That's what we do. That's what we do here. So uh, really quickly, your guys' non-spoiler thoughts on the book. Megan, go ahead and lay it on us. I did not like it as much as I liked the first Aftermath. Um, I enjoyed it. I felt that Chuck Wendig's prose is creative and inventive, and it was even more, like, tightly written this time around. However, I felt that the characters were um, the sort of situations that they were put in did not necessarily move them forward in a way that was interesting to me or that I feel made them grow. So well-written, but I don't think the characters were served as strongly as they were in the first one. Okay. Fair statement. Saf, what's your thoughts on the life debt? I thought it was definitely more cohesive and interesting than the first book. Um, I, I did like the first aftermath for the record, um, but I thought this was definitely better written. Um, the, way Chuck Wendig writes is very creative, but it was less experimental in this novel than it was in the first book, I think. Um, so it was a bit more, bit more chill. Um, I agree that the characters didn't really seem to grow that much in this book. They hadn't really grown much from the book previously, despite the time lapse that happened, however long the gap was. Um, I still don't really like Nora, still don't really like Timon. Love the side characters like Jess and Sinjir, though. Um, and... I think my favorite thing about this book was the way that it kind of included it, it brought in a lot of the new canon together into like one thing while also bringing in characters from, you know, movies and stuff like Wedge, um, who's a big character in the EU, obviously. And also like themes that felt really similar to legend stuff. Cause I'm reading, um, uh, the X-Wing books at the moment and I just finished, uh, Kratos Trap. And a lot of stuff that happens in this novel is really similar to what happens in that novel, too. And I found that really hilarious. And it kind of, it was really cool seeing that crossover. Yeah, Life Debt, I felt, was a lot better than, than Aftermath, the first book. Um, I'm, I'm actually with you guys that there wasn't probably as much growth in the characters. And it's funny, Seth, I'm, I'm with you. I don't really care about Nora or Temin that much still um singer is still my favorite character out of that bunch and uh i listened to the um the audiobook marked by mark thompson who's i know he's done a ton of star wars uh audiobooks before and he has a great like british accent for singer that i just it made me fall in love even more with the character um it's just so studious and i love that about him and um i don't know i he I felt there was more growth with him. I felt we learned a lot about him and how loyal he is uh, yeah. in, in the story, which I really like. I'm, all, I'm a big loyal person. I'm, I'm big on loyalty um, just in, in my life. As, a, as I you know, outside of Star Wars, I'm, I'm huge. I'm a loyal person myself to the bitter end. I defend my friends, et cetera, et cetera. You know? So it was cool to see. I, like, I identify with characters like that. So... Um, yeah, I don't know. The book was definitely less experimental, but I think that served the book better, in my opinion. I just it wasn't as distracting. I felt as the first book. Uh, you know, there's less interludes in this book, which I was a little 
actually disappointed in because I yeah. love I love yeah. the interviews. and they were they were less memorable this time around. I thought though yes. I did love one in particular a lot. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. but but you know, but the, the interviews I felt were were they need to be more. You know, I mean, you could have. I I feel you could have trimmed the main story a lot, and you could have put in like two or three more, uh, you know, awesome characters and. Or you know, or awesome chapters. But there's again, the interludes are my favorite part of the book. We obviously have a pretty big epilogue and prologue uh, of this book, which we'll we'll get into the spoiler section. Which are probably my favorite parts of the book. Then the interludes, then the main story. Um, it was nice to get some main character stuff in there as well. Um, we obviously see the Falcon. It's in, it's in the story because you have it in the book. It's on the cover of the book. It'd be kind of misleading if they didn't have it in there. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I'm I'm actually with you guys. Um, I feel that if you're on, if you're a reader and you're kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to pick this book up. I'm gonna tell you, if you didn't like Aftermath, you're gonna like it more. If you just hate it, Aftermath, and think it's a piece of garbage, you want to burn it. But you probably won't love like that. You probably won't like it like immensely more you'll probably like it a little bit more you probably still hate it because you're probably just bitter at that point so (laughs) yeah it's it's tricky because oh go ahead oh sorry well when talking about nora um i like nora i don't mind her i don't know what you guys are talking about but um i am really biased against her for really pity personal reasons so nothing on chuck windig's writing that's just on me all right um yeah yeah uh, i just love the character not really it's always a struggle to write a character whose primary motivation itself lacks motivation, if that makes sense. So several times mm. in this book, Nora and also other characters kind of wonder why they're doing what they're doing. And it's very interesting to have existential questions in a story. It's very interesting to have a character ask, like, Nora, for example, is she only in the Rebellion because she needs to find her husband? Like, what does she really want for herself? She doesn't really know. And that's an interesting idea on the surface, but it can also make the character feel kind of stagnant. And I think that's a little bit of what happened here, where the story, and mind you, it's the middle story of a trilogy, so this might be partially intentional, the story asks the question of, okay, what does Nora want but it never really answers that question. Yeah, I think that's one reason I kind of the story itself, like it's it's really fast paced, and Chuck Wendig's really good at keeping like the story suspenseful. So you you keep keep reading, you're like, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? But when I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, Nora didn't really do. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
didn't have yeah her questions answered like you said um she a lot of stuff happens in that book and she kind of learns a lot about herself in some ways but she still got that weird sense of not knowing what she wants and not knowing where she's going and for having that for like a main character in a novel it's it's difficult to balance that with a story that feels like it's going somewhere yeah and like i know it's very easy to say um to divide a character into whether or not they have agency. So I want to be clear that if we're talking in those terms, I do think Nora has agency in this story. She chooses many times. She chooses what to do, but she sometimes chooses out of not really knowing what else to do. And that is very tricky to write. Yeah. Yeah. I can't really get into Nora until I get into like the spoiler section. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think you had a great point where Megan, you said it's hard to write for someone that is just kind of lacks motivation, you know, a little bit. So I don't know it, the character in the last book and, and Temin, I mean, obviously Mr. Bones is like still my, one of my favorite characters from the book. And a lot of that, again, it goes back to Mark Thompson from the audiobook that uh, I, I listened to. Oh man, I really need to listen to audiobook for Mr. Bones. He's hilarious. Like they make his, like they modulate the voice and he's like, Roger, Roger. And like, it, it's really, it's pretty good. Mark Thompson does a pretty good job. I, he's, it gave the dialogue. It just shows you how if, so when I read Mr. Bones in the book from Aftermath, I liked it. But from, Listening to the audiobook and, and how Mark Thompson did Temin with Mr. Bones, it was really fun. I, I really liked that part of it. So it made me like the character even more than that. So the more just an average character. So yeah, I don't know. I it was like I said, it's a better it's a better story. I think it, it flows better. I think people will like it more. I think people have liked it more. Um, I don't know if it's the best. Star Wars. I don't think it's the best Star Wars canon novel out there, but I think it's it's one of the better ones. It does have an excellent portrayal of the character we haven't mentioned yet, which is Ray Sloan. Oh and boy! Yes, yeah. If you're going to this book for Ray Sloan, I think you will probably get what you were looking for. Yeah, Ray Sloan is. She's quietly becoming a not, not okay. Not, excuse me, not quietly. She's becoming. A pre-established, you know, character in Star Wars now after being written in the first, you know, new canon novel, uh, New Dawn. It's really incredible to see her progress into comics and to other novels, and become a. She's becoming a really important character, you know. With and we don't really know what's going to happen going forward. So. But you can assume that she's going to have some kind of influence on The Force Awakens. Exactly. And, and that's so, amazing. Yeah, that's really freaking cool. So let's get let's just get into spoilers territory now. So spoiler alert. Bloop, bloop. Spoiler alert. Bloop, 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 bloop. Um, one of my best beeping noises, sorry. Um, <laughs> Excellent. So, no, it was great. Yeah, so we're going to – I'm going to count us down to three, two, one. So we're going to start spoilers in three, two, one. Okay. Now, let's get into the prologue and the epilogue a little bit, because before we go back into, you know, before, before we go back into Ray Sloan, I just, I have to talk about this, because it's a big controversial thing, not controversial, but there seems to be a lot of people saying that this, this character, uh, General Rex, which is introduced in the prologue as a little boy on Jakku, very interesting, and then 
later on is, is obviously re- revealed as the general kind of pulling things around from the Empire. The, the remnants of the Admiral? Empire. Is it? Is Gen- oh, I'm sorry, Admiral. Excuse me, General, <laughs> General Admiral, splitting hairs here. No. Um, so my question is, this character was, people were saying uh, before the book came out, that this character was, you know, Snoke. And, you know, being like, and I, I took it at face value, like, really? Oh, you know, thanks for telling me now, blah, 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 whatever. I read the book. Oh yeah, they were they were like releasing articles and stuff about how yeah. obviously he was Snoke and like <laughs> there like, was that one article. Yeah, by yeah. like, that one person. Yeah. Um, well, but um, there was yeah that whole thing and it kind of came out and like first off, big assumption they're making and then treating it as fact. Secondly, they really didn't need to write it like a huge ass spoiler in all of their titles and everything, and it was really distressing to see all of that happen and not be able to say anything about it because anything you could say would be a spoiler. Yeah. And, but here's my thing. I, I got, and it's funny, I got really irritated, rightfully so I got irritated, but what's interesting and I'm glad and staff, we, we had talked about it and you had told me it's, this, it's really, and Megan, I think you, I think that we were all talking on a, on a, on a, a tweet, uh, private tweeting. We were just kind of messaging each other and you guys all agree that like this, you know, cause I hadn't finished the book yet. And you guys said, it's, it's no, it's not, that's not accurate. You guys both said, it's not exactly true. It's not yeah. a guarantee. And I was yeah. like, okay, if you guys are saying that and other people are saying it, then, you know, cause maybe it's obvious that I'm just, you know, whatever. I'm not, I'm not opposed to him being, you know, Snoke to be quite honest. But when I read the story and I got to the epilogue where it's, this is where it reveals that this stowaway from Jakku meets Emperor Palpatine, Sheev, and basically becomes partners, I guess, with the character. And I was expecting like this big revelation of like, I'm going to trade you, you know, whatever. Like I was expecting like, okay, this is it. This is going to be a big Snoke revelation, whatever. And then, Hilariously enough, it's just like, go back to Jakku and wait for me. And I'm just like, wait, so he's going to go back to Jakku and like monitor people building stuff that which I'm really intrigued about, which we'll get into that in a second. But I'm like, so this guy, wait a minute. This is why people think he's Snoke? Really? This is like the definitive. This isn't definitive at all. This is like totally assumed. It's it's a real big jump. It's. I mean, is it's. I think it's. A, I think it's definitely a jump, and I think that it. it but it's possible. I'm not. A, I'm not saying it's yeah, impossible. Yeah, it's possible. But it's not like the definitive 100. percent Like put a you know stamp on it. I, you know, a lot of people think that I'm like this huge Plagueis nut. They has to be Plagueis being Snoke, and I've always said from the beginning, for the record, that I don't think it's going to happen. I'd like it to happen. I don't think it's going to. I think it makes sense in my opinion. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to. And if he was this character, I'm open to that. I'm open to him. As long as the story's good, I don't care what the character is. That's that's my whole thing right now. I just and, always had this like assumption that Snoke had been around a lot longer. Exactly. And was older mm-hmm. than that. Like when cuz it's 30 years prior to um when Life Day is set and that's like when the empire is around, right? Yes. Okay, so. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's right after. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. it's right after the, right after the Clone Wars. So it's basically. Yeah, like, I because 
I got the impression from Snoke that he had been around before the Clone Wars had happened and had seen the Republic rise and fall or whatever. And I don't know why I got the impression. It may not have actually been said anywhere. I may have just completely made it up. So I didn't think that Rex could be Snoke because I thought Snoke was older than that. Um, it's possible that he could be and that there will be more development on that in Empire's End. And that would be really interesting that if the, you know, the series that got a lot of hatred in the first book for not being related enough to The Force Awakens, ended up introducing the villain to The Force Awakens. Um, that would be really interesting to see. But I feel like it's not a given. Yeah. Um, did you, Megan, did you have something to say before I, I jumped in on this? Just the, the um, it's interesting that we have Rax and Thrawn and a potential Snoke all running around the galaxy at the same Roughly the same time. Like That's a good point. A, a lot of people were saying, oh, is the Grand Admiral Thrawn? And he has some comparisons. Rax, I, I do think Rax is not a particularly detailed character at the moment. We know more about his philosophy than anything about his like personal life. But um, he is ha- sort of has that art appreciation thing going on a little bit. Um, so it was interesting to me that um, him and Thrawn both appeared on the scene at around the same time. Uh, that's, that's about all the, the thoughts I have about that. I, I did feel that Rax was kind of covering ground we've covered before. Um, he didn't really set himself apart as a villain yet. And maybe what he found on Jakku, maybe whatever is buried is what will set him apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but, where we obviously we don't know what that is yet, right? And, and to end my the whole general uh, Admiral Rex, I keep calling him General Rex for some reason. I'm sorry, Terrible. I know because it's, it's Gallius, <laughs> like it almost looks like. Yeah, no, thank you. Yes, yes. Yeah, I get, I get it. I oh, thank, <laughs> thank you, Megan. Thank you. Yeah. No, the thing. My thing with Rax is this: is that I love though what we're getting from this these prologue and epilogues. They're very intriguing. They're very, I mean, obviously something's on Jakku that the emperor wants to build and, and go into and, and do something with, with dark side related. And it's, that is fascinating. That has my, my intrigue up to max. And me too. Yeah. Because, um, there's the whole idea of like, people of things being on Jakku because Ray's on Jakku kind of like mm-hmm. um, before the force awakens came out, people thought that um, Law Santeca was there because he was looking after Ray or something. Um, but it's interesting because we know from the Poe comics that Law Santeca has been, you know, wandering the galaxy looking for force related stuff. Um, and that he's ended up on Jakku and he's still there for some reason. He's just mm-hmm. chilling out there. Um, and now we have, we have Ray who was, who's been dropped off there at some point and she stayed there that whole time. We have the entire battle of Jakku coming up that we don't know what entirely that's about. Um, and then we've got Gallius Rex who is somehow important to the empire and potentially the formation of the first order who came from Jakku and then has, has is involved in something that the emperor found on Jakku and is interested in. And it's all the stuff is centered on Jakku. And I'm like, what is actually on Jakku? Yeah, and, and, you know, there is also on Ray's survival guide that there's there's a place on Jakku that that people think is cursed or something. It's I haven't finished reading the book. I remember before the movie came out, I was reading it, and I, re- I actually thought it was really fun to read. Uh, and I got distracted because I have ADD and forgot about it. But um, 
I remember I got to a point where Ray talks about an area of Jakku that's like bare. It's like, I don't know. She kind of talks about it being like this kind of weird place. And I wonder if that's where, um, you know, Rax and the Emperor were kind of building their dark side, maybe their Sith shrine, if you will. If people remember my, I wrote an article about Sith <laughs> shrines and um, I'm making Star Wars a long time ago. Yeah, uh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that would be really interesting as well to have something like that foreshadowed in that book in particular. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you never know. And 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 I'll just say really quickly, I'll end my the Raxing on this. I think Snoke is deaf. I don't think Snoke is Rax. I don't think he. I, I think he's probably going to be someone a lot older, a little more ancient. Now I don't think he's going to be Plagueis necessarily, but I think he's going to be something a little bit more, a little older than that. But that, that's just my money right now. But so, you know, before you guys, do you guys want to do the interludes next, or do you guys want to do the general story? Um. Well, let's let's talk about side characters. We've got um, okay. we've got uh. Han and Leia were part of this story. Um, and then, but interludes brought out um, some interesting characters. And I wanted to point out the space pirate Eliadi, which was cool because. Eliadi? Yeah, I don't know how to say that. <laughs> yeah, Eliadi um, was cool because pirates with star destroyers are cool, but also that was because. rad. Eliadi is a, a gender or. Non-binary? Non-binary, yes, and uses non-binary pronouns. And uh, that's something we've not seen in Star Wars before, and I thought that was pretty cool on a, like, representation front. Yeah, she's the first um, the first canon non-binary character, I think, or a gender character. I mean, I don't think Chuck Wendig is specifically specified, but it's a, it's, yeah, it's non-binary pronouns. And I think that's really cool um, that... Chuck Wendig still like pushing for representation in these books. Like in the first novel, there was you know Sinjir and the the wives who were um, Nora's sister and her wife looking after Timon and like the character in the interlude who had two dads. And so Chuck Wendig's like have some more stuff. And there's also mentions <laughs> of polyamorous relationships in in um in one like throwaway line, which I thought was really cool as well. And I just love what Chuck Wendig's doing with this stuff. Though I do wish he would have more ladies holding hands. <laughs> But I hope I hope Zaph, that I love you. Elodie has um <laughs> is similar to Han Solo in that in the next book she has a bigger role. She was a she was a really fascinating character because um, she's she's the main head pirate, correct? Make sure I remember these people correctly. Yes. See now in when I this is one of the books, one of the parts of the audio book. Again, they did a great job of when she kind of does the, uh, the I forgot if the ship was like if, if they captured somebody but she did like a speech over How do they how do they pronounce the pronouns? Oh my gosh, I don't even remember. But Cuz it's it's the it's the Z ones, the ZH pronouns. I don't know. But I just remember the the audiobook Mark Thompson they did a he did a great voice for the character that was definitely like, you couldn't tell if it was male or female when, when the character was giving out like this, like the speech over the, either over the calm and it had like a modulation on it. And it was really cool. It was a really, really awesome speech about just being pirates. And they, they took, and I was like, man, these pirates took over a freaking superstar destroyer. How cool is that? Like that is and so cool. They're not, 
murderous or anything. Like there's that girl joins them and her her mum is like, No, you can't do that and then Elodie's like oh, yeah. No, you you gotta let your daughter do what she wants. You can come if you want, but she's her own person. And I was like, That's so cool, I love this so much. <laughs> yeah. That girl is just like but I wanna be a space pirate and I mean same. Like, okay, you can do that if that's <laughs> what you wanna do. <laughs> <laughs> no, that and, and that's the thing I think what really is, is awesome about the interludes is that you just get a taste of what's going on in the galaxy. And again, I, I, I'm a broken record with these interludes, but I love them. And it's I would just, not mind like an anthology book written mm, by Chuck Wendig that's just interludes. That would be really cool. I think that's what the book should have been for the most part. I feel that you could have you could do a whole battle of Jakku that's away from the interludes and just do that book. It's funny you bring that up because that's kind of what my my main problem with like think so far we're getting. But I guess I'll get to that in a second. But as far as the interludes go, and these these minor characters that we're getting, we're getting a lot of really cool hints of things. Um, I, I really this is one of my favorite chapters actually, just because I love the the idea of these pirates basically having one of the what one of like four or three. I was like it's like not very many super star destroyers left, and these group of pirates own it, and just knowing like are these pirates going to live off this thing and just like dominate people? Like, are they going to, what are they going to do with this thing? I mean, is their story over? I mean, what if they turn up in the next, um, the next Star Wars movie, not, not Rogue One, but the episode eight card all over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think Seth and, and Megan both bring up great points. There's definitely hints of Talon Card from this. And you also, like you said, Seth, like where are they going to show up next? Is it episode eight or is it maybe? I mean, the Resistance has its entire force destroyed in The Force Awakens. And if they're trying oh, to come up against the, the First Order, are they going to have to recruit help from, you know, like pirates and other people? Because if so, a pirate with a Super Star Destroyer could be really useful. You know, that's when they was yeah. very careful to like, um, to know exactly how many Star Destroyers they were. And there's that one chapter where somebody's tallying them. And I was like, this is going to be important. This is not only important so that Wikipedia knows which Star Destroyers are which. But like, <laughs> Wikipedia knows! <laughs> this is going to be important in the story somehow because it's attention is being drawn to it. And there was briefly mention of like, we have exactly this many, and then Sloane has her reserve fleet, which is important. Um, so I, I wonder if the numbers specifically are going to come back and that this pirate ship is going to have to be accounted for. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Saf, I really think you're on – you might be on to something because if you think about it, the Rebel Alliance brought literally everything to the empire, meaning like every broken down major ship they could. I mean, it was just every resource they had. If the resistance is in the same bind as the rebel alliances at the end of the force awakens, which I'm assuming it is. And you know, that's correct. It would, it, if it wasn't a major part of the story, it'd be cool to see it in the background and know that those, those pirates are a part of the resistance or, or they have allied themselves against the first order. And then you see it in the background messing people up in like a, a scene or something like that in the background. It doesn't have to be the LED in there. Um, the rainbow coat, rainbow cloak, or whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot. That would be so that. cool. Anyways, I'm, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. Yeah, we are, no, no, it's it's not. I th- I think you're on to <laughs> something in one way or another. I think it's and just like and again, and I think Megan's right. Yeah, they're they're making a big point of how many there are and where they are or where they might be. Um, and I'm it's probably I'm thinking related in some part to the First Order's fleet. Um, in the next mm. movie, 
because mm. we see some of it in The Force Awakens, but not much. We only know about Starkiller Base, but we also know from Bloodline that that, that um, the First Order is not necessarily giant, but it does have a lot of little pockets and reserve people. Yes. No, you're, you're on – exactly. And, then, and that's the one thing I definitely am I'm glad I've gotten more clear on with these novels, especially from th- this book here. I mean they've definitely dropped hints that the First Order is not, this, is not the Empire and the Resistance is not the Rebellion. But they're actually smaller versions of each faction from the original trilogy. And, but, they're all, but at the same time, the stakes are still there. They're just smaller in size. So what does that mean? It's, just, it's a little different, and I like that. It's, it wasn't exactly clear in The Force Awakens. I mean, the stakes aren't necessarily smaller because they're still fighting over the entire galaxy. No, um, no, no I agree. Yeah, but that, yeah. the, the groups themselves are definitely are, especially the First Order compared to the Empire because the Empire was like galaxy-spanning, and... Um, the Rebellion also had a lot more time to build up before the original trilogy, whereas the Resistance has only just kind of recently been put together before this trilogy. So they're still quite small. Yeah. No, that's uh, – man, that's – yeah, that's – I don't know. I, I'm with you. I think it was nice to – we give, definitely just seen the, the idea of the galaxy and how just how chaotic it still is out there. Um, other interludes too. Um, we have the Tatooine one with the Rancor Keeper. Is it Maliki? Is that his name? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I think that's his name. I, yeah, I think it's that. He, I love that character. My wife says that he looks like my dad, um, uh. but or actually, no, no, the action figure, the original Kenner action figure, looks like a figure of my dad. Um, <laughs> this is really funny, and I laugh because she's right. It looks a lot like my dad. Um, but uh, it was really cool that um, uh, is it what's he named his rancor? What P- Patissa or? Yeah, Patissa, I think, is her name, um, the Rancor's name. It was a girl. Uh, um, and I I don't know. I, I really liked it. It was interesting because you had these characters, uh, you know, like you have a, a guy in Boba Fett's armor, essentially, like meet up with them and say, hang with us. We're going to need you. Can you tame a hut? And I'm like, wait, 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 what? Is this guy like, you know, we have a baby hut, a hutling. Or something like that, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. So they have a baby hut. How is this going to play in the future? Now you're talking about they're going to get their own buff hut. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> going to give it a lightsaber. It'll be no, devastating. I, I'm really, I'm, I'm really intrigued by that chapter. I'm really excited. Because well, um, um, the person that's talking to him has Mandalorian armor, right? I'm wondering if it's the same person from the interlude in the first book that picks up yeah, the Mandalorian I mean, armor. And I thought. Be. It was cool to have like a string carrying through in that, and I'm wondering if we'll see more of that in the next book. I think wasn't it confirmed to be the same character? I'm pretty I sure. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it is. To my knowledge, everything everything implied that it was. Yeah. Right, right. Which I think is cool. I mean, what exactly are they, are they doing on Tatooine, and what what exactly are their plans with this little hutling? It's I don't know. I, I mean, I'm really intrigued by that. I was like, man, I want to go back. Tell me more, but you know, I mean, Tatooine's also one of my favorite planets. I also love anything related to Jabba's palace. So, sue me. I'm biased, maybe. It it kind of made me happy because in the uh, tales from Jabba's palace, there was that story about Malakali and how he raised one of the Rancors from when it was young. Yeah, and like I I liked that story, and that like this didn't contradict that story at all. I don't, not that I. 
know of off the top of my head. So it was kind of nice to be reminded of that. And they kept the same name, too. Of the Rancor Keeper. Yeah, Rancor Keeper. Yes, yeah. yeah I love how much he loved his Rancor. I know. Yeah. That's awesome. That, that part always makes my wife sad. Aw. Like, legitimately, she gets bummed out. Like, she loves she, she loves animals. So, like, when, like, someone is sad because an animal dies, she's always like, mm, the Rancor is so cute. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, Morgan's out of control. Um, but yeah, I, love, I love Rancors, too. They're from Dathomir. So, you know, we're cool. Um, but yeah, so there, that was a great interlude. There's also the the I like this this one interlude, the one on Coruscant with the with the acolytes from Beyond. But this, mm-hmm. but but I liked it because it was what was implying. But the setup of it was kind of weird. Like, so you're, I'm, we're basically in Law and Order right now. <laughs> like it's a Law and Order kind of yeah. thing. It's kind of weird. But I like the idea of a bunch of people in black. You know, cloaks with red lightsabers attacking uh, this, and again, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna get I'm gonna give this guy credit, bottle rocket, a, a, a good Viner, if you call I don't know if you call that Viner. He uh, we were talking, and he said, "Is this like the, the are these guys the prelude to the Knights of Ren?" Mm, I was like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Damn, dude, I didn't even think of that." I'm just like, "That's Dude. what I was thinking." That's yeah. what the first interlude with them seemed to imply also and i i kind of thought it was funny because the like the police people they don't they they don't take them seriously oh what oh i'm sorry the police people seem stupid well i mean they do but they live in a time of pace like it's and like it's it's not supposed to be much kids and like what made me laugh about this is that they're described as such like edgelords they're like they they don't they they sleep during the day and they come out at night and like they wear all black and the police have no reason to think it isn't anything other than a fashion statement. And then it's revealed that it's actually this large scale, like militarized organization. But it, it kind of made me laugh to think of like Kylo Ren basing like he would base his his uh, gang on this group of people that are trying to be nocturnal. <laughs> that's that's true. No, I, I think you guys are on to something. I, maybe I'm just too like dumb to get it because I was I didn't think about that. I think the first it's funny. I think the first chapter I kind of put two and two together, but then this one I was just like, man, there's some people with red lightsabers. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you'd still need a lot of tax and a lot of string to really directly connect sure. them to the Knights of Ren because we still don't know so much about. And so was history, and there in the first in aftermath, it was that bit about like this might or might not be Darth Vader's lightsaber. Like these, they still might all just have you know fake artifacts. We don't really know. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess moving on to the to the next section here, um, I, and again, maybe I'm forgetting other interludes. The one I don't know if there are even interludes, but with uh, Masa Meda, uh, it was really interesting. One of the more interesting aspects of the book, I think, and I'm like your guys' opinion on this is, but is this character and the fact that he was trying to make himself like worth something and he was so, utterly worthless, you know, he was to everybody. So useless. And I love so, that. Not gonna lie, I was really I was really interested when they found Masa Meta because I thought his species looked cool. He's a Chagrian. He has, like, those big horns. I was like, oh, like, that could be a pretty cool character. And then he's just useless to everyone. The the rebellion 
is like, we can't even use you for leverage. The Empire is like, we can't even use you for leverage. He was just useless. So that was kind of funny, but it didn't really go past being funny. Like, I, I, it was just sort of, it sort of uh, faded away. Yeah. Saf, what, what was your take on the Massameda? Masameda, whatever you want. One of the, by the way, one of the reasons I love Star Wars is you can pronounce something wrong, and that's fine. Nobody knows the <laughs> no real one, pronunciation anyways. It's fine. <laughs> they, everyone goes back and forth. Twi'lek, you know, Twi'lek, Twi'lek, whatever, Twi'lek, Twi'lek. Nobody says that. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't matter because everyone's going to pronounce it different. Like, Saf, Masameda. Actually, no, wait, wait. In oh. relation to that, my favorite thing is people in Star Wars, in the movies, everyone's saying the same thing wrong. Like, there's a couple scenes where, like, people are saying Jakku, and everybody says it differently. I'm oh, like, yeah. This is my favorite thing about Star Wars. I love it so much. <laughs> right. Anyways. It's, 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 it's an underappreciated thing that only the hardcore fans like us will kind of love. So <laughs> Exactly. It just seems like the actors don't know what they're doing, but it's a real Star Wars thing. Exactly. So, Saf, <laughs> any, any thoughts on Masameda? Um, I thought it was interesting he was in it. I don't have any strong feelings on his character. His his species looks really cool, though. Um, but <laughs> I agree okay. with Megan there. Um, but I thought it was interesting the way that um, Mon Mothma and Leia were kind of like, they were gambling on him actually being able to do something and create a treaty that they actually were trying to do this. And it was kind of being a bit conniving as well, because their entire thing is like treating people with mercy and justice. But they're right. also like, no, just just go back. We can't do anything with you. Right. Get this, and then and then we'll help you kind of thing. Like, they were seriously blackmailing him not blackmailing him bribing him a little bit with freedom um but also he'd he'd done awful things like he was palpatine's like right hand man yeah. basically so it's totally fair that the rebellion just saw like nah nah we're not gonna help you just sure so i thought the entire <laughs> thing was really interesting and also because i had mon mothma in it i love uh, her i love mon mothma she's i think she, i love that character to death um i I, I find it very fascinating that for a, a establishment like the Empire that's that's pretty much only human only, it's interesting like Grand Admiral Thrawn and Masameda name they still Masameda is still Palpatine's right hand man still, which is interesting. Hmm. So yeah. um no, I I, I I thought the character was really funny. I thought it was really a different a different thing to kind of view the character as, the fact that he is just kind of not as worth as much as he thinks he is. Um, I don't know. I, I really like those as- the aspects of the, of the story because, again, the fallout of the Empire is what really fascinates me. And as we got – again, we were talking about spoiling this book, you know, fallout of the Empire. Let's go back to Ray Sloan. We were, we were kind of touching on little bits of that with the, the pre-spoiler kind of talk. Let's go into full spoiler talk here. It seems like Ray Sloan is setting up gigantic things for this Empire like Saf said. And I know you guys are a big fan. I'm, so I, I'm, I'm not as big a fan as you guys because I don't think anyone rivals you guys' love except for maybe uh, other people, a few other people I know. But, <laughs> uh, but besides them, them like you guys are right, right there. So I'm going to ask you first, Seth, um, you're, can I get, go into a little bit of Ray Sloan, what, why she's so amazing in this book for you? Okay, so – She's amazing in this book, first off, because I just love her in general, so I'm already pre-biased. Um, but she plays an interesting character in that she's she's full Imperial. She's so very, very Imperial. Um, but through the book, you start to, you know, empathize with her struggles against Rex. You know, like, no, Rex is awful, obviously, because Rex is doing awful things, and you know what the First Order is going to become. Um so you're sort of like, yeah, you know, the Empire, maybe it's not so bad, the Empire that Ray Sloan wants. Like, it's not it's not so bad, even though obviously it is because it's the Empire and the Empire is awful. Um, but the way Chuck Wendig writes her and, like, the way that she's very human and the way that 
you know, she she talks about how she views Adea as a daughter um, and how attached she is to her and protective of her as well and how she thinks she's doing what's right and how strongly she's fighting for that idea even though everybody else is kind of fighting against her. And it was interesting to see as well that she was the only woman in that Imperial Shadow Council that Rack set up, um, which I'm still like, we don't really need to have like vague sexism happening in the empire in these days. Um, but also like it gives her the extra dimension of being like a woman struggling against these dudes being awful and terrible. Um, yeah, I also I... liked her insulting Hux very slightly by calling him like a snotty <laughs> child or something. I was like, that's great. I agree on both counts with the, uh... Part of the reason that I like Sloane, I mean, I like her because I think she's a well-written character. She's very consistent. She's held a lot of different, uh, connected a lot of different books. Um, She has a strong voice. But it also is just because we haven't seen a lot of really strong female Imperials like this. And the new canon is giving us a lot more, but it's still an extraordinary thing to have a character that is is independent and she she doesn't have a romantic interest um she has some thoughts about maybe having a family in this book but they're all about oh i think of this person as a daughter um she she's very independent and she survives the end of the book and like even that is it shouldn't be unusual but it's still something that i'm sensitive to and that i'm glad to see that she survived and she survived so much in this yeah. book. And yeah. I just, I'm liking her more and more just because of her tenacity. Like she's smart and she has her own plans, but she also just will not die. And like, mm. I like that about Darth Maul too. Like she gets <laughs> shot and falls off a, off a bridge into the water and then like steals a ship and is like, see you all later. I'm going to go figure this out. And she doesn't want to join the New Republic. And that's something that I was really, like, I read the end of this book, like, with bated breath. Because it's like, oh, is, are Leia and Sloane going to team up? Because I'd love to see that at some point. That'd be but cool. we're not quite ready for that yet. And Sloane's not ready for that yet. She's, like you said, Zaf, she's all Imperial. But she isn't all for Gallius Rax either. So seeing her go off on her own, just like, I'm going to solve the Empire's problems literally by myself and also with Temin's traumatized father. Um, <laughs> I, I love that ending for her. Yeah, it's interesting. She kind, of, she kind of serves as like a foil to Leia in a way. She's really similar to Leia, but on the Imperial side, like you see it, um, like she goes off and she's like, I'm going to do, I'm going to avoid Rex and solve this and fix everything myself. Whereas Leia's all like, okay, if the rebellion isn't going to do what we need to do, or not the rebellion, the new Republic isn't going to do what we need to do, then I'll go off and do my own thing. Um, they're really similar in that way. And also just in their complete tenacity and how much they believe in what they believe in. And it's also interesting to con- contrast um, Ray Sloan with also Sayena from Lost Stars because she's a, She's an Imperial as well, and she's Imperial through most of the book, and she's very strongly on that side. But unlike Rey, who very strongly believes in the Empire as it is and what it could be, Sienna kind of just ends up locked into that. She can't, she can't escape because of her own dedication to her honor rather than the Empire as a whole. And it's interesting having both those characters, but Sienna is kind of redeemed through going through, through both her love for Thane and also, you know, going 
eventually kind of joining the New Republic in a way. We don't really know what happens there, but you know what I mean. Um, whereas Ray Sloan, her, she's going to redeem through how much she will not give up on the Empire. Like, she has a chance to potentially stay with yes. the New Republic, and she does not. She's like, hell no, I'm out of here. And, like, if she had sided with the New Republic at that point, it would have felt like a betrayal to her character, and it would not have made her sympathetic. It would have made her not be her. Yeah, it's funny because I love this character too because I think that she believes in the Empire. I think she believes that there needs to be order in the galaxy. She thinks that the people that are running or are part of the Shadow Council and and Rax are awful and, and not good for the Empire. And it's to me because she did meet with Leia and Mon Mothma about some kind of surrender. To me. I think this kind of sets up the fact she'll be the one to decide the peace between the rebellion and the empire and how they'll kind of go away and do their own thing after the battle of Jakku. And I, I don't know if, again, I'm not sure if I read that somewhere or, or what, but that's kind of my prediction. I think she's the one who's going to be, I think Rax, cause I don't think Rax is Snoke. I think Rax is going to get defeated at Jakku. And I, or is going to get killed or get betrayed by her. She's going to take over and she's going to leave and take all the remnants of the Empire and they're going to go into wild space and do their thing and they're going to have a treaty and that's why there's going to be this uneasy alliance between um, with the New Republic and the First Order because it'll slowly in those 30 years morph itself into the First Order. And maybe, she, like you said, Saf, maybe she might be besides the one that kind of stops the fighting and they go off and do their own thing. Maybe she's the one that comes up with the name or she's obviously, obviously she's going to be huge with this. I don't think she's going to die at the end of the end of empire's end. I think it's going to be empire's end in the sense that they're going to, they're going to stop. I think, cause I think Mon Mothma already has established. She doesn't want to fight. She wants a downgrade military. So I think the battle of Jakku is going to be a pretty pivotal moment for both Ray Sloan and Mon Mothma, and they're going to have to stop fighting, and it's going to be a thing where they're both going to pull in the intercoms or something like that and say, stop fighting, we're done, move on. And they're all going to move on, and they're just going to go their separate ways, and as long as they don't go out of the jurisdiction of the Republic, they're going to be fine. So that's kind of my thing, and, and Ray Sloan just seems like the strong character to do that because she already wanted to stop the bleeding, if you will, because she didn't trust Rack. She knew that she's going to lead him into some like bloodbath, essentially. So she gets it. I love that about the character. She knows what she wants. She knows what's better for the galaxy, even though it might be a warped sense of reality of the galaxy. She still knows that bloodshed is bloodshed. It's still wrong. It's not the right thing to do in every case. So I don't know. I really like the character, like you guys. Um, I I think if she, if she does what I think she'll do, it's gonna be awesome. So I don't know. I, I'm really excited. I think she's the one that'll eventually betray Rax somewhere, or she'll be the one to take him out. So yeah, I don't know. I, I really like the character. I would be, I would be happy with that. Right if she was the one that that fought Rax in the end. So again, we're we're going long. But let me – is there anything you always want to say about the book? The, I mean there, I know we, there's so much to touch on this book. There's a lot. Um, the general story. We kind of touched on a lot of the major characters. Are there any major plot points you guys really want to talk about? Well, I mean I don't want to go on too long either, but I think it's worth mentioning. Um, what did you guys think of, of Han and Leia in this book? Because I didn't – I liked Leia. I liked the scene with her and uh, – 
her unborn child. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I, I didn't really think Han felt like himself in this book. And that was partially because of the way he was introduced um, when they, they said he, Chewie was captured and Han had fled, essentially. I like flipped back and was like, wait, did I miss something? Because <laughs> I didn't, like, Han wouldn't do that. Like, Chewie was... They they had a life debt. It's the title of the book. Like <laughs> I had a lot of trouble believing that initial incident, and that sort of painted the rest of how I felt about Han. What, what did what did you guys think? I yeah, I didn't. I think sometimes Chuck Wendig's writing of character voices when he's writing dialogue sounds too much like Chuck Wendig, and it's very much obviously his mm-hmm. voice and not the character's voice. And that was really obvious with characters like Han and Leia because we know them so well from other things. Um, from the movies in particular, you can kind of hear their voices in your head. But sometimes you'd read a line that Han says and you're like, I can't see Han saying that, but I can see Chuck saying that. And it <laughs> and, comes and it's other really obvious sometimes. Have that, have that yeah, issue. I think... I think the problem with, yeah, it is obvious with some authors as well, other authors. I think the problem with this one is it's particularly obvious, particularly obvious because it happens with a lot of the characters in the book. You, There's times when they stop being themselves and start being Chuck's mouthpiece in some way, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And if you like his writing, it probably works for you. Um, I do, I did like any part that had Han and Leia together in it because now that The Force Awakens has happened, whenever... Whenever Han and Leia have an interaction in a comic or in a move in a book or something, like it retroactively makes it like way more heartbreaking suddenly. I'm just like, oh, it's the only time they have together left. Aww. It's going to end soon. And so I get really emotional about that. So I think it was good being able to see them together, at least like a little bit. And Leia's voice I, I like better than Han's voice, actually. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, Leia, Leia was better written than Han. Han did seem off to me. The whole Kashak okay, I called it Kashak. Kashik, <laughs> excuse me. Kashak. Um the whole Kashik stuff was was cool, but it was a little it was hard to follow. And again, maybe I was being distracted, doing my own thing, listening to the audiobook, but um, Mark Thompson did a great job, you know, with, but it's just the actual written words. It just wasn't really, I don't know about you guys. They have a hard time following that, that, that section of the book. It was just hard for me for some reason. There were a lot of anticlimactic moments I thought where like yeah. something seemed to be leading up to a big battle and then it would time skip or just move to a different scene. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. It was hard. There were, I think part of my main criticism of, of the main story of life debt, there's way too many characters. Like I, I just, for me, it's, you got wedge, you have John and Jass who are basically the same name and they're basically lovers. And it's just, basically weird to I get him confused like so you know weird. you know I mean like the reason it's weird is because if it wasn't for Mark Thompson and doing his different voices for everybody I wouldn't know who was to be honest I read the first I read the first like six chapters um myself before I got the audiobook and it was hard for me to keep track of what was going on um to be honest and again that was just me so I don't know. The main story was just hard for me to follow, and I, I just wasn't as invested with it as the other stuff. I mean, anything with Ray Sloan and the interludes was gold for me. So, but the main story was just it was just okay. It was just okay. I I don't know about you guys, but I kind of feel 
this whole the whole lead up to the Battle of Jakku is just kind of it's pretty thin. You know, I, I kinda, yeah, it feels kind of cobbled together a little bit. Exactly. At least on the rebellion side, on the mm-hmm. Empire side, it's working really well. Exactly. Um, on the New Republic side, it's kind of like these characters are doing things, and it it kind of makes sense for what's leading up to. I guess. Um, I kind of my favorite thing about like Nora and her crew, like I, eh, I kind of felt weird about Jas and Jom because I was like, did we have to do that? It's kind of just okay, whatever. I didn't like um, it because I, I really like it wanted Jas to be bisexual or gay or something even though i know she's had dude lovers before because i mentioned the first book but i was just like give her a girlfriend and then she <laughs> hooks up with jom and like the first the first chapter with him in it and i was like okay whatever was so boring he was so was. deathly he was. boring he was boring and yeah <laughs> but and, and i think we all and it sounds like the main story we thought wasn't it was okay. We, we, I think we all generally liked it, but it wasn't our favorite part of the book. I, I think we all agree, at least for me, I think it'd be, I, I would have preferred them, like, if they had a, a book of aftermath of just Empire and interludes, oh man, that'd be fantastic. I mean, and I <laughs> yeah. think, and I think with, with Empire's End, that's a lot to live up to now, because now you have the Battle of Jakku, which is going to be huge, and I'm, I've got a lot of, ex- I'll be honest, I have a lot of expectations for this book right now, and I'm re- I'm actually really excited for it. I wasn't that excited for Life Debt. I'll be honest, I wasn't. But Empire's yeah, End, was I. But like, Empire's End with with the with the rack stuff with Emperor Palpatine and the implications with that, where that could go, what they're doing on Jakku, what the what the implications of the of the battle will have for even the the main group of characters, will the Lost Stars people make cameos because of what that book, what happens in Lost Stars, mm-hmm. and I mean there's and all the interludes that are, will happen, will there be more interludes in this book? I mean, will the, will the kind of tie the, the, all the interludes together? I mean, I'm really excited for Empire's End. I honestly, I'm probably more excited for Empire's End than Thrawn in, in any book. Yeah, for, for all that I have my criticisms of Life Dead, it certainly didn't make me any less excited for Empire's End. I'm, I'm st- I still want to know where this is going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Life Dead was a fun book, if nothing else. Like, it, yeah. It was darker than the first book, I think, in a lot of ways, but it was it was fun to read, and it's, it's a fast read as well because of Chuck Wendig's writing style being so, like, quick and well-paced, well, not necessarily well-paced, but, like, fast-paced. Um, my favorite thing, I think, about Life Debt was just the Wedge and Nora stuff, because we're just such a hot mess in in Legends, and I'm so glad that it's <laughs> carried back over into canon as well, that the fact that, like, in Kratos Trap, he asks a woman on a date when she's got a dead husband, and her husband is alive, and he ends up running into them together with flowers or something that happens at Kratos Trap and it happens again in this book. And I'm like, how does this keep happening to Wedge in every single timeline? Yeah, he has bad luck with these things. So I I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I think I'm with everyone here. I think we all liked the book. We didn't love the book. There were certain aspects we loved, certain other parts we thought were okay. I would recommend the book if you love Star Wars. I think you should read it. Um, If you didn't like Aftermath, the first book at all, Probably if you hated Aftermath, don't read this. Yeah, you're not going to love this. But I'm excited. Either way, I'm excited for it. So, And if you like The Empire, this is a good one for you. Absolutely. Yeah, 100% definitely. agree. So this has been – this will be a great long episode, and I really had a lot of fun with you guys today. This is a blast, and I love talking Star Wars with you gals. It's amazing. So thank you so much for all your great conversations, ladies. Um, we'll end the show here. Um, so – 
we'll kind of do our wrap up here, I guess. Uh, Saf, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin. Um, basically, all the other stuff I do can be found on there as well. I'm also on NotSafWork.com, which is my website. And yeah, that's me. And Megan. I can be found at Blog Full of Words on both Twitter and Facebook. I write for Den of Geek for StarWars.com and for DelrayStarWars.tumblr.com. And don't forget, guys, your other podcast, by the way. Yeah, we do a podcast called Western Reaches. And it's fantastic. And you guys are awesome at it. You guys are great podcasters. If you guys don't listen to the show, which would be weird if you guys didn't, you guys be in the audience, not you two, obviously. (laughs) Um, But people listen to the show, if you don't listen to Western Reachers, please, it's on Tashi Station Network. It's on iTunes. Check it out there. And speaking of iTunes, you can find us right now on Stitcher to be able to download this this episode on any future episodes. Old episodes will be on Stitcher now. We we just found out. I had no idea until today. So please use that if you're if you spread the word. We you can download on iOS devices now. At least at this point, iTunes will be coming soon. I promise. It will happen. We haven't given up on you guys. Yes, and you can find me, Paul, at Herman twenty two with two ends. Uh, on or yeah, Herman twenty two tunes on Twitter, and also you can find me uh, our our show Blaster Cannon Pod, um, and that's on Twitter as well, and also my Marvel show Marvel Newscast, what I do with my friend Sean Gerber. We just did a show um, recently, and we're gonna do another show about Comic Con, which was insane. So a lot of amazing stuff there. So everyone, on behalf of my friends here, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.